1: From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now, again, remember, why is Matthew giving us this genealogy? He's giving us this genealogy because he wants his, his Jewish countrymen to recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies that had been given to their people concerning the Messiah.
0: Have you ever felt as though the genealogies in the Bible were boring or redundant or just too difficult to read? Have you ever heard the old saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? In today's message, Pastor Robert will help you discover both the importance and the purpose of the genealogies of Scripture. Stick around after today's message from Pastor Robert. I have quite a bit of information that I'd like to share with you. Our web address, podcast subscription information, and our contact information. And here's Pastor Robert in the book of Matthew chapter 1 with today's edition of Main Thing Radio.
1: Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab. Amminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, Abijah begot Asa, Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, Achim begot Eliud, Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, Mathan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations, Now, again, remember, why is Matthew giving us this genealogy? He's giving us this genealogy because he wants his his Jewish countrymen to recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies that had been given to their people concerning the Messiah. But he does something highly unusual, highly irregular. He includes four women in the genealogy. That was not done. They didn't include the women in their, ge- in their genealogies because in their mindset, the women didn't matter. They just wanted to know the fathers. Matthew points out four women. And you would think, it's like, okay, these must be really, really special Jewish matriarchs. Well, no, in fact, they're probably not Jewish at all. We know that it, at least a couple of them aren't, aren't Jewish at all. They were Gentiles. Tamar was likely a Canaanite. After her husband died, she pretended to be a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law to make her pregnant because he wasn't doing the right thing by her and she was going to be left destitute. She didn't have any children by her uh, her husband. Long story that I won't go into, but she actually seduced her father-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute. If you remember the story of Jericho and when they conquered you know, Jericho, she was a Canaanite. Ruth was a loyal young widow, but she was from Moab. And then there's Bathsheba, whom King David took to be his wife after committing adultery with her and having her husband killed. She's not mentioned by name, but she's referred to clearly and, and was probably a Hittite. Her husband was, there's a good chance she was, not Jewish. Now, why would Matthew highlight these women in this genealogy? I think he deliberately brings them out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to make a very important point about how God sees things and how God does things. His mercy. You know, I heard a message not long ago that it really spoke to me because we we often talk about power of God, you know, almighty God, and how faith is a mustard seed, you know, you move a mountain, and all God has to do is speak, and and he, you know, just the power of God, and this guy said, have you ever thought about the power of God as it relates to his mercy, and I never had, I'd never thought about the mercy of God in, you know, in conjunction with him being omnipotent, his this all-powerful God. His mercy is powerful. And I think that's part of what Matthew wants us to understand. When Jesus went to dinner at Matthew's house after calling him to come and be his student, Luke tells us that several, even most of the other invited guests were also tax collectors and sinners. So much so that the Pharisees and the scribes reacted to it. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? I mean, if you yourself are a social outcast and you throw a party for somebody, who are you going to invite? You're going to invite your friends, the the people you think will come, right? The people that you normally spend time with, the other social outcasts, the other tax collectors in Matthew's case. That's who he invited. And they all gathered together. We read it a minute ago, but let's look at it again. Luke 5.30 says their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And by the way, that's the church, not a museum full of righteous people. Not a club for the righteous. A hospital for sinners who were being transformed. And I think what Jesus was saying was dripping with sarcasm because he looked around the room. The Pharisees and the scribes were the sickest of all in some ways, but they didn't see it. They didn't see themselves as being imperfect and unrighteous. They saw themselves as being holy. They were viewed by the society as Holy, the most righteous among the Jewish people. They were the most orthodox. They were the most meticulous about keeping the rules. And, and Jesus said, if you're not sick, well, then you don't need a doctor. But I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Psalm 14, verse 2 says, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There's none who does good. No, not one. Now, see, we read that and we make a couple of mistakes quite often. We think about goodness in our, you know, in our own minds. We're comparing it among human beings and God is, is not doing that. God is saying, every single one of you has been corrupted by sin. You know, again, we think of corrupt politicians who pretend to be serving the people when in fact they're serving themselves. They're they're really concerned about their own power, their own position, their own benefit, whatever's going to keep them in office, whatever's going to be to their benefit, whatever's going to be gain for them. What, that's what they're really focused on. And you know, they're just corrupt. And, and that's the way we think of it. But what, what Psalm 14 is pointing out to us is that every single human being has been tainted by sin. None of us is perfectly good. And we, we know that. Nobody's perfect. We know that. Every single one of us is corrupt. There's none who does good. We read it and we think, well, I know some people who do good. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're thinking in human terms. Good compared to... You know, the bad that we see. What God says is that there is none who truly does perfect good on earth. His love is the main
0: thing. His love is the main
2: thing. You've been listening to Main Thing Radio with Pastor Robert Fowler. During this season that's filled with uncertainty, we know that one thing is unchanged. God is in control. We encourage you to take time daily to spend in the Word, in prayer. As with many churches across our nation, Calvary Miami Beach is holding church online. We'd love for you to join us. Go to calvarymiamibeach.org. connect to our sunday virtual service and be sure to visit and subscribe to our youtube channel for more messages we also know how essential prayer is during this time and we want you to know we're already praying for you is there anything specific we can be lifting up to the lord please let us know through our prayer request form at calvarymiamibeach.org would you do the same for us Please keep Pastor Robert and our church staff in your prayers, as well as our nation's leaders and those affected by this virus. Thank you for praying. And if you feel led to support Main Thing Radio financially during this time, we would be grateful. You can donate online at calvarymiamibeach.org. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Main Thing Radio.